We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Plenty uh, of NBA, NHL, hopefully baseball at some point uh, to wager on. Make sure you're doing that at the WinBet Sportsbook. I'm joined by James Anderson, and and James, we've conversed a little bit, you know, via via DM, via text, via Slack these last few days, but we have not really had an on the record conversation about the trade deadline. So, you know, we're not we're not going to be breaking any news here. Uh, the dust has mostly settled since Thursday's 3 p.m. Eastern deadline, but. Interested to hear your thoughts uh, on some of the major deals. Obviously, James Harden to Philly, Ben Simmons to Brooklyn. I will break down a few of the the minor deals as well. But, you know, I'm looking at the updated Eastern Conference uh, winner odds on the DraftKings Sportsbook. Philly now moves up to plus 330. We still have the Nets installed as both Eastern Conference favorites and title favorites. Uh, the Bucks are in that mix. They're at plus 320. Uh, a little bit lower. You got teams like Miami, Chicago, Boston, Cleveland, still somewhat wide open. Uh, but but how do you assess this Brooklyn Philly trade to start? Um, do you look at the Sixers specifically now as closer to winning the title this year than they were five days ago? Yeah, I, I do. But I mean, I think they had like uh, less than 5% chance before this trade and probably a less than 15% chance after this trade. So, um, you know, I mean, I think... Subbing out Seth Curry for James Harden, obviously that makes you better. But I think the fact that they had to include Seth Curry in the deal made it so that it wasn't just a a dominant uh, move for them. I mean, I think, you know, Curry probably been one of their three best players before the trade. So it's not like they just lost some sixth man or seventh man. Um, and I think it's, 
it makes the Nets and the Sixers sort of more interesting to talk about and to, to watch. But, I mean, I don't know if there are two more uh, embattled postseason players over the last, like, five years than James Harden and Ben Simmons. So it's hard for me to look at those moves or those acquisitions as like, oh, man, now they're they're a real force to win the title now that they have these two guys who have never proven that they can get that done. Uh, so I, I just think it, it makes it a lot more interesting, but I still think the Bucks are the favorite, and I still think the Heat are the close second favorite. Like, I think the Nets and Sixers are third and fourth in some order. Yeah, I, I'm very surprised that Brooklyn specifically still sits atop these odds. And I, I do think there's a case to be made that both Philly and Brooklyn maybe got closer to winning the title this year by swapping uh, Harden and Simmons, just because I, I think that that Harden situation, the more you read, it seems like there's a new article every morning about how much of a sinking ship that had become. I, I think it was going to be really hard for Brooklyn to push through those chemistry issues. And, and obviously Philly was getting nothing out of Ben Simmons. So I think you're right that while record wise, Philly was very much in the mix before this trade, it kind of felt like it was heading in the same direction as years past where you know they had come up short with Jimmy Butler on this roster. They came up short last year with an active Ben Simmons it just felt like they probably weren't going to have enough. And I think Philly specifically really helped itself. Obviously not a ton of depth left on that roster. I think, you know, at center specifically behind Embiid, I mean, obviously if anything happens to Embiid, they're not winning the title, but you know, even if you're trying to build in some rest for Embiid down the stretch, like you really have no big guys left on this team. I mean, it's Paul Reed, Paul Millsap, Charles Bassey. None of these guys are even true centers. So that, that worries me a little bit. We'll see what they do in the buyout market. Brooklyn to me too. I, 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 I think we're taking it as an absolute that Ben Simmons is just going to be back to the Ben Simmons that we knew, even at the end of last year, when, when he was struggling in the playoffs, he was still a major plus on the defensive end. Um, I don't want to get into any of the mental health stuff that is, that's just become, you know, a, a time suck uh, on Twitter and nobody really comes out looking good when you're talking about that. But I mean, if you just focus on Ben Simmons, having not played a basketball game in 240 days, I actually did the math earlier today for an article I don't think it's a guarantee that he's just going to hit the ground running and all of a sudden, you know, the Nets are going to pick up where they left off. And once Kevin Durant's healthy, they're going to be cruising again. Yeah. And I, I think the thing that I take the most issue with that I've heard in terms of the analysis of this is, you know, everyone talking about how great of a fit Ben Simmons is on the Nets. Uh, I think he's a bad fit on every team in the league. He's just, a, le- a less bad fit on the Nets than he would be on most teams. So it's it's not like, oh man, this is just going to be a seamless fit for Ben Simmons. Like it's hard to, it'd be hard to integrate Ben Simmons no matter what team you're talking about. Um, it's it's going to be easier in theory to integrate him, especially once Kevin Durant's healthy. But uh, I mean, it's just a very chaotic situation still with Kyrie Irving's availability unclear. Um, for home games moving forward. Uh, Joe Harris is kind of a, a non-factor for the rest of this season. Uh, you still don't have Durant. So, um, you know, if you put Ben Simmons on this, like part of the reason James Harden didn't want to play on the on the Nets anymore was there wasn't any shooting for him to, you know, stretch the floor and for him to pass out to. And so now you've got Ben Simmons who can't even shoot himself heading into this situation. So, um if you just said the Nets are at complete full strength, everyone's healthy, uh, Kyrie, you know, New York lifts the vaccine mandate or whatever, and Kyrie can play in all the games, and this team's had 15, 20 games to play together and 
get some chemistry, then I could see them maybe making a run. But I just think there's still just so many things that have to fall into place and go right for them. Right. I'm willing to absolutely put the Nets in title contention, but I don't think they should be the favorite. I mean, even if you want to make them the Eastern Conference favorite, I guess I get that. But I, they're plus 400 right now, four to one to, to win the title. You know, they have better odds than Phoenix, better odds than Golden State. Uh, strangely, the West, you know, is, is looking a little more top heavy, uh, a little less deep with contenders than it has in years past. It, it's putting a lot of faith in Kevin Durant. And, and we all love Kevin Durant, but I, I mean, health stuff aside, um, there's just so much variance on this roster. And I, I feel like that number almost implies that there's an expectation that something's going to change with the New York vaccine mandate between now and the playoffs, because I, I don't think you're getting the Nets as the title favorite under the assumption that Kyrie Irving is only playing in road games. I, you know, I think it's maybe, I just think it's a bad lot. Like I think uh, maybe DraftKings is just was spending all their resources on the the Super Bowl and stuff like that. And um, yeah, you also have it, like, this isn't DraftKings necessarily saying this is the percentage chance in their estimation right, that right. You know, they have to get the same amount of bets on both sides. So like if, if, People are still hammering the nets. Um, they need to, you know, have the line sort of reflect reflect that. But um, I just, I think it doesn't. You, like, you don't have to be all that smart and all that kind of plugged in to the NBA to know that the Bucks are a better bet than the Nets and the Heat are a better bet than the Nets. Like, that's just an obvious uh, advantage with the lines right now. There's also no precedent for a team like going through the, the turmoil that the Nets have gone through and actually winning the title. I saw somebody on Twitter. Uh, I, I couldn't pull up the actual tweet, but I, I think a future NBA champion has never lost more than six games in a row during an NBA season. And, you know, the Nets snapped their 11 game winning streak or losing streak, excuse me, last night uh, against Sacramento. Uh, so th there's just so many, so much precedent, I guess, suggesting that the Nets are, are going to fold at some point here. Um, I, I'm really intrigued by the Harden in Philly thing. I mean, like you said, you, you're, you're, I think you said it on Thursday. It's like you're bringing James Harden, like one of the all-time playoff chokers with Doc Rivers, uh, the all-time playoff choker as a coach and, and Joel Embiid, who's, who's not a playoff choker, but his, his like body is a choker uh, in the playoffs. And there's just, you know, time after time, this guy breaks down over the course of a, you know, hundred game season when you're factoring in playoffs, it's a really fascinating mix of players. I think they have just enough bench help that I, I don't think it's like a massive, massive liability. And we, we've seen a lot of, teams that have had success, especially in the last decade or so, you know, go with this top heavy build. There's not many teams that can pull off having two or three stars and then also having a great bench. Like the Warriors were basically the only exception there. So I, I think this team is, is built, built well. I, my question to you, I guess, is what do you expect from Harden as far as, you know, can he, you know, I just said, I don't think Ben Simmons could just snap back to being the player that he was a calendar year ago. You know, how much do you think of what we saw from James Harden over the last month in Brooklyn was lack of effort, you know, lack of making an attempt to get in shape versus a potential drop-off in, in actual skills as he gets older. I think it was like 95% a lack of effort. I mean, I think like he showed I agree. for stretches earlier this season, like he's not the guy who was an MVP candidate uh, a couple of years ago, like even when he's in the best shape he can be in. Uh, I just think he's lost a bit of a uh, burst and, you know, the, the foul changes and stuff. Like he's, he's just not quite that same level of player, but I think he could still be a like top 12 player, uh, borderline top 10 player 
once he gets you know back in in good shape and everything and uh so i mean i think offensively i'm just i'm not really worried about the sixers if you have a healthy Embiid and you have a healthy in shape like relatively in shape james harden like i think they'll be fine offensively uh the big question to me is just kind of defense um it's basically and i mean this was the case before the trade obviously but uh, it's just Embiid and Thibault are your only two above average defenders and neither of them can guard, you know, Kevin Durant or, uh, you know, if, if you have Embiid guarding Giannis, like Embiid has done an okay job on Giannis in the past, but if you have Embiid guarding Giannis, that kind of uh, puts a ton of strain on on Embiid on that end of the court to kind of be chasing Giannis around so I I just think that they're going to be kind of in trouble regardless of their matchup on a defensive end and as you said we shouldn't be just assuming that Embiid's going to stay healthy for four playoff rounds and we shouldn't assume that James Harden's going to not slip in the playoffs because that's what he's done over the course of his career he he's never been a guy who has been like the best player in a big playoff series, really. Uh, and he's always been a worse player in the playoffs than in the regular season. So Embiid's health, uh, Harden, you know, staying at his peak level in the playoffs, and then just their their defensive shortcomings are, are the three big issues here. Yeah, the Embiid point is a really good one, especially against Giannis. Not only do you risk tiring him out, you know, chasing around Giannis, but you're also risking foul trouble which, you know, Embiid is well-equipped to guard Giannis, but over the course of seven games, he's getting in foul trouble in at least one or two of those. And that's going to put you at a massive, massive disadvantage. I just talked about the guys that you have behind him. Like, if you try to sneak, like, when Embiid's on the bench, who guards Giannis? Seriously, like, is it, can you get away with, you know, Thibault just trying to slap the ball away? I mean, like, they like body-wise, you know, Tobias Harris, that's not going to work. Niang, that's not going to work. Um, you know, Paul Millsap, at this point in his career, certainly not going to work. Like, they... Again, maybe the buyout market is where they go here, but you don't even have anyone who physically is remotely qualified to guard someone like a Durant or Giannis. No, uh, you don't. I mean, that like that's why that's part of why the Bucks are the clear favorites still to me. Yeah. Uh, the the Heat probably have, are the the best team by by quite a bit in terms of potentially matching up with the Bucks defensively. Uh, the the Nets even. You know, people talk about, oh, well, now they have Ben Simmons as this great defender. Uh, ben Simmons can't check Giannis. Like, Giannis has owned him. Uh, that's that's kind of a long-standing ownership. And then, like, Andre Drummond. <laughs> like, I mean, they don't, they don't have anyone to guard Giannis really either. And if they want to pretend that Ben Simmons can guard him, like, that's just not going to go very well. Uh, so, it, like, I think the Bucks and the Heat are just in a, in a class above right now. Uh, and the line doesn't really reflect that. Uh, obviously, the public discourse, naturally, we're going to be talking about the Sixers and the Nets. That, that was one of the biggest trades you're ever going to see at a, at a trade deadline. But I don't think we should kid ourselves into thinking that that made either of these teams the favorite. It, even though the Bucks are continue to give us reasons to to inspire doubt, you know, that they, they kind of flop against Phoenix last week, have one of their worst games on national TV of the entire season. They lose without Giannis last night in, in pretty crushing fashion against Portland at home. Um, it, it just feels like we are slowly cruising toward a Bucks suns rematch. And I, I almost feel more confident about the Suns out West 
who just, I, I mean, Chris Paul continues to just miss no time whatsoever. It gets better and better as the season goes on. Devin Booker's been fantastic. The Aiton contract thing, which we thought might be a distraction coming into the year, not a distraction at all. You know, they add a couple small depth pieces in Torrey Craig and Aaron Holiday at the deadline. Not that that changes all that much, but it just feels like both the Bucks and the Suns are kind of confidently cruising above all the drama of this season. And, you know, teams like Brooklyn and Philly, um, you know, certainly the Lakers, uh, teams like that that have kind of been in the headlines all season, it feels like they're almost just going to weed each other out by the end of the playoffs. And the teams that are consistent and well-built and have depth at every position are going to be the ones still standing. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's Fantasy Podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more right at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states, Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, and it's rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's Fantasy Football Podcast. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and Thrive is running guaranteed contests every day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top-tier players who have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up today, and a free six-month Rotowire subscription is all yours. Here's how to claim that free Rotowire subscription. Visit rotowire.com slash thrive, that's T-H-R-I-V-E. Deposit a minimum of $10, and you'll receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Play in your first paid contest, and you'll receive that free six-month Rotowire subscription. It's as easy as one, two, three. Thrive Fantasy. Check it out. Speaking of Milwaukee, real quickly, uh, what were your thoughts on the Abaca acquisition, the trade of DiVincenzo? Um, any strong feelings on that? Uh, I mean, I thought it was great. Uh, I think that realistically, they weren't going to re-sign DiVincenzo this offseason anyway. Uh, you know, the Grayson Allen signing, the fact that Grayson Allen's outplayed DiVincenzo this whole year. Uh, like, it, it's not like DiVincenzo was playing well for the Bucks, And um, the, the timing of the Pat Connaughton injury, obviously, is is uh, not, not ideal because they were kind of counting on their depth on the wing and now they have less of it. But uh, I think, you know, it's it's a roll of the dice with Ibaka in terms of just, you know, how close to, um, you know, his pre-injury self is he going to be at in the playoffs. But if he is that type of player where he can keep the defense honest from three and fit into their defensive scheme, I just think it makes them um, even more versatile than they already were defensively, where they could just put uh, a ton of different combinations out there that, that should all work. Uh, he can be part of a switching scheme. Like he's, he's a better defender in terms of versatility than both Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez. So that just kind of gives them another look that they can go with uh, on that end. And, 
you know, if we're being kind of real and if we've you know, people that have watched this team all season, uh, DiVincenzo, you know, he was maybe their eighth best player, uh, seventh best player, something like that. So uh, I don't think he was going to play much more than like 20 minutes a game in the playoffs. And it was a position where they had some depth. So uh, the fact that they, they probably weren't going to retain him this off season um, made sense to, to try to get something now that could help this year than just do a sign and trade this off season, especially when he just wasn't going to be uh, a huge piece of the, the playoff rotation. I feel the same way about DiVincenzo where it felt like there was some, you know, emotional attachment, I guess, from, from Bucks fans to DiVincenzo, but you have to kind of look at it from a business perspective. And like you said, they, they weren't going to resign him. Uh, I, I think the writing was on the wall when you not only trade for Grayson Allen, but then immediately extend Grayson Allen, who's been significantly better than DiVincenzo. And you know, obviously there's, there's reasons why it's taken DiVincenzo a while to ramp up, but I, I don't see this as a situation where two years from now we're looking back and DiVincenzo is averaging 22 points a game for the Kings. And we're saying, I cannot believe the Bucks traded him away. Like, I, I think he could still be a fine player, but I think we're looking at a good role player at best in DiVincenzo. And, and more than anything, I mean, Milwaukee waited so long to get any sort of help at the center position. You know, you bring in DeMarcus Cousins, keep him for a couple of weeks, then he's gone. Um, you know, you can't go into the playoffs with Giannis and Bobby Portis as you're really only two options at center. And neither of those guys, you could argue, are even a true center. So I think it was a need-based move, and they basically swapped out. They had too much depth at shooting guard. They had no depth at center. So from that perspective, it's a no-brainer. I mean, the one thing that that kind of makes you sour on it in the short term is immediately after trading uh, DiVincenzo, like Pat Connaughton breaks his hand and is probably going to miss six weeks or whatever. So he'll be back by the playoffs, but I, I think in the short term, the depth could suffer a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it's uh, it's not ideal. Uh, I think it it makes the Wesley Matthews acquisition um, more important than it had been. Yes. Uh, you know, he's he's probably going to play more than you'd like him to here over the next month, but uh, he at least fits into what they're doing on both ends of the court. Uh, Jordan Wara has been very kind of hit or miss this season, but there's been times when he's looked right at home as a, as a rotation player on this team. So um, it'll get him more uh, opportunities and more developmental time, but um, it's just going to be, it's going to be so fascinating to see uh, the, the playoff bracket kind of come into focus in the East. Cause I, I think with the Connaughton injury uh, with, you know, getting Ibaka uh, integrated into the rotation, you know, Giannis is probably going to miss another handful of games sporadically over the rest of the season uh, for rest. So I don't think the Bucks are going to go on some sort of run and get the one seed. I mean, they, they could get the one seed, but everyone's so jumbled. Uh, you know, the Bucks could be the four seed or the five seed. Like it, They're the five right now. Yeah. Um, so it's just – it's going to be fascinating to see how these matchups shake out because – I think you could just look at the standings and like the favorite to come out of the conference could be playing in the four or five game and the number one seed could be like upset in the second round easily. Like it's just going to be, it's going to be a really fun playoffs. Yeah. I, I, I think it's overused. It, it feels like there's a lot of playoffs where you go in and say like, man, no, no team's going to have an easy pass in, in round one. And, and typically it's been, 
the one seed, uh, especially in the East, there's always been like the sacrificial lamb team. You know, it was, it was the magic for a while. Um, you know, the Hawks have been in that spot uh, that you just kind of knew they were going to get spanked by somebody. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. You know, if it's a Hornets heat, obviously you're going to pick the heat and they'll, they'll probably cruise in that series. But I mean, no matter what team ends up in that eight spot, I mean, that, I was telling you before we, we started recording, you know, we were making fun of the wizards who are like a hundred thousand to one or something to, to win the NBA finals right now. They have the same record as the Atlanta Hawks, which is a team that a lot of people thought would be in the mix to get back to the conference finals this year. So, I mean, it's, there's at least 10 teams right now uh, in the Eastern conference that I, I think you could at least, there's a world in which you could see those teams winning one playoff series. And, and some of them, you know, like a team like Atlanta, I mean, Brooklyn's in the eight right now. Uh, those teams could certainly win more than one, but you're right. I, I do think the way the bra- the bracket breaks down, especially in the Eastern conference, um, I think we're going to see some serious maneuvering down the stretch because, you know, the all-star game is not halfway by any means. It's basically the two thirds mark. There aren't that many games left. And if the standings kind of remain as is, there are six teams right now that are within four and a half games of the one seat, seven teams within five and a half games and five teams within two and a half games. So as those, you know, start to settle over the next few weeks, I think we're going to see some positioning where um, there's going to be some, some kind of advantages to be had. Uh, Like right now, if you're the Bucks, you'd be playing the Philadelphia 76ers in round one of the playoffs as a four or five matchup. That is, that is insane. Yeah. And like, I, I don't see the Bulls or the Cavs being favored in their first round matchup unless, uh, you know, maybe if they're playing, maybe if one of them is the three seed and they're getting like the Celtics or the Raptors. But I mean, I think either of those matchups would be very close. So, uh, you know, where, where is Brooklyn? Is Brooklyn the, you know, I think they're most likely going to be in the plan, um, seven through 10, somewhere in there. And so, uh, whoever the one seed is and whoever the two seed is, you know, you might be getting a fully healthy Nets team with a vaccine mandate lifted in round one. Like that might be your reward for being a top two seed in the East. So, uh, it's just, there's a lot of um, there's a lot that, that still needs to be settled, but like I don't I, I think the the Bucks and the Heat match up with all these teams very well. Um, so I just I think those two teams are. It's more about just making sure everyone's healthy. Uh, you don't want to be in the playing game, obviously, but I think if you just told the Bucks or you told the Heat all your guys are going to be healthy and you're going to have a top six seed, I think they'd both take that right now. I think so, especially with how crazy things got around the holidays with all the COVID absences. Um, I mean, Miami, I think, was hit harder than just about anybody with COVID plus injuries. Then you have Kyle Lowry missing like 12 games with a personal matter out of nowhere. Um, you know, it, The Bucks haven't had their guys, mostly because Brooke Lopez has missed so much time. But I mean, for Miami to be the number one seed, 17 games above 500 with all that's happened to them, I, I think it's pretty incredible. But the way the bracket would break down right now, and this doesn't matter at all, things are going to change. This would be the nightmare scenario for both Miami and Milwaukee and Philly, really, where you'd get Philly, Milwaukee as the four five. You'd have Miami, Brooklyn as the one eight. And then Chicago as the two would play Toronto, the seven. Cleveland as the three would play Boston, the six. I, I think of those top eight teams, you know, Chicago, Cleveland, Boston, Toronto are probably the four weakest. Right. You'd have the you'd have the four weakest on one side and the four strongest yes. on the other side. Um, but that's, I mean, that's it- the path for the Cavaliers to get to the finals. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think, you know, 
it would be kind of like the Bucks path last year, though, right? Like yeah. they their their toughest series in that playoffs came. Their, their toughest series obviously came in round two, but uh, you know I think most people would have said that Heat team was better than that Hawks team uh, heading into the playoffs, or at least That's more true. scary. So, um, you know, if you have two really tough series in the first two rounds. And then maybe you get a, a series where your guys can kind of get right. Like say someone's, you know, dealing with an injury like Giannis was last year. Um, you know, maybe you, you just get, get a little extra time to get right in a, in a cushy conference finals matchup. But I mean, th- again, these teams are all so close, like saying what the matchup's going to be right now. I mean, th- it's just going to shift on a daily basis. All right. It is time for our monkey knife fight picks for tonight's Tuesday night NBA slate. We got seven games in the association on the schedule. Monkey Knife Fight is the easiest DFS site out there. I love playing on MKF. All you have to do is choose more or less on each line. You can win 20 times, 100 times, even 500 times your buying amount, depending on the contest. If you go to monkeyknifefight.com and sign up, you can claim your 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And if you use our promo code, which is RWNBA, all caps, five letters. I think it has to be all caps, RWNBA. You'll get a free $10 NBA ticket. You can use that to win cash tonight on Monkey Knife Fight. All right, as we did last week, we're going to focus on a quick three-by-three contest. So you're looking at 5X your money if you go three for three on these more or less picks. We got three big names, uh, more like two and a half big names that we're going to get to. Uh, We will start with Chris Paul, more or less 11 and a half assists. Uh, I was extremely wrong about Chris Paul. Uh, I think we had this exact same assist number. In fact, it might've even been 10 and a half uh, against Milwaukee last week. I took the under and he went for 19 assists. I will not be letting that happen again. Uh, he had 15 assists against Orlando on Saturday. Just going to you know avoid being on the wrong end of this one and take the more uh, with Chris Paul. Joel Embiid, more or less 32 and a half points. Uh, this is a pretty easy more for me. Uh, no Seth Curry, no Andre Drummond. They now play for the Brooklyn Nets. No James Harden until after the break. Uh, They're going to lean on Embiid really more than ever over these final couple of games before the All-Star break. He's averaging over this number over his last 26 games, essentially dating back to Christmas. I'll go more on 32.5 for Embiid. And then we have Clint Capella, more or less 12.5 rebounds. He is coming off of 17 boards against Orlando over the weekend, Uh, had 11 and 12 boards in his previous two games, but He's only gone over this number once in his last 13 appearances. I'm going less on 12 and a half boards for Clint Capella. Those are the MKF picks of the night. Make sure to use our code RWNBA to get that free $10 NBA credit and check out monkeyknifefight.com to get your 100% deposit match. Uh, looking at the West real quickly, it, it to me it feels it's just like no fun to talk about any teams other than Phoenix, Golden State, and Memphis because – like everything out of Utah in the last month has been negative. Uh, mm-hmm. The Mavs, despite having Luka Doncic, appear to be trying to tank this season. I, I don't know what's going on with that roster. I'd be very interested to get your thoughts on the Porzingis, Dinwiddie, Bertans trade, which I, it, it's the rare trade where it feels like everybody loses, including <laughs> the players, the teams, the fans, us. Um, you know, Denver, I, I think, is still lurking, depending on what happens with Jamal Murray. Minnesota is suddenly in the seven. You know, probably not a title team, but but a fun team nonetheless. We'll see. I mean, the Clippers, if, if Kawhi or Paul George, especially both come back, they'll be in the mix. I would like to go on record, James. It is February 15th, 2.33 p.m. Central. The Lakers are dead. They're officially dead. I will stop saying 
well, you know, there's a chance that everything clicks. You know, what, what if Westbrook, you know, starts listening, starts changing? Could LeBron still sneak in for the MVP? All that is dead. It's all done. When they lost to Portland, that was that was the final straw for me. Yeah, I mean, I I think I texted you like I I'm kind of expecting uh, maybe not in the next couple weeks, but at some point I think LeBron's going to really kind of take his foot off the gas. Like it's uh you know it's kind of a an embarrassing look to just be trying your hardest when you know that you have no chance and I don't, I can't picture like LeBron's not going to LeBron's never done that. Yeah. And he's not going to, he's not going to leave it all out there as they're trending to like a nine or 10 seed. Right. Um, So I kind of think he's going to shut it down here at some point. Um, I mean, he's already like, I know he's putting up crazy numbers, but just kind of watching that. That was the first time I watched a full Lakers game this year was that Bucks game. And he's really just trying to get his own, on offense and you know all the other stuff is very very secondary like he's in full-on just I'm gonna score um mode and if I'm not looking to score right now then I'm not really worried about what's going on and I think that that's you know he's just he knows that this team doesn't have a chance and so he was kind of going through the motions um putting up numbers but I think eventually he's going to start looking towards next year so um yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be ugly. Uh, I think that the whole plan is obviously, I think it's it's a lot easier to trade Westbrook this offseason than it would have been at, at the deadline. Um, you know, there's going to be somebody else on a bad contract with more years and Westbrook's going to be an expiring deal and it'll be easier to get off from this offseason. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, another wasted LeBron year. Their last hope for me was the trade deadline. And we knew that nothing serious was going to materialize. You know, the, the best case scenario was probably finding a way to offload Westbrook. You're bringing back John Wall, you know, names like your big names, like Alec Burks were tossed around Kemba Walker as like potential acquisitions. And, and to be honest, I could, probably could have talked myself into that. You know, basically the, the 2017 or 2018 Cavs mold. Uh, but the Easter conference back then was absolutely terrible. That Cavs team, even after the trade was not good. Um, and that's really not the case at the top of the West. So there was really no move out of this for them and, and standing pat and not even making a single transaction at the trade deadline. I mean, that was, that was truly, I think LA waving the white flag in some ways. I, I did think, I don't remember if it was Dave McMenamin or, or Ramona Shelburne uh, on the ESPN pod earlier today noted that, you know, some people within the Lakers thought that this was management basically saying to LeBron and AD, like, you asked for this, you know, we're not going to get you out of this. You know, we, we, we're not going to do even more to over leverage ourselves for the future just to take, you know, 70 cents on the dollar for Russell Westbrook. And I, I kind of hope that's the case. Like somebody it, like, how has nobody stood up to LeBron like this in the past? Um, you know, obviously it's worked out for him more often than not when he steps in and makes these swooping, you know, half the roster trades. But, you know, if that's the case, the Lakers are right. And, and Rob Palenka, to some degree, is, is complicit in this. But at the end of the day, we, we know, you know, kind of who, who has final say on these transactions. And, you know, I, I, I don't think LeBron deserves to be bailed out this time. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think that's right. I think it's they know that, you know, you include that unprotected 2027 pick in any sort of trade. Um you know, there's nothing they could have done this year with that pick that would have given them a real shot. 
And so you kind of know that LeBron, the guy that made you get Westbrook, is not going to be helping you win games in 2027. So why are you going to sacrifice that asset just to help him avoid the playing tournament maybe? Um, right. I, I get it. I, I mean, I totally get it. It's just, uh, you know, I think there's also just an argument that you're kind of – you're screwed long-term anyways if you're the Lakers and – but again, I, I think that they, they knew there wasn't a move they could make at the deadline that was going to make them uh, or give them a shot this year. And they probably just think it's going to be easier to do something in the offseason that could give them a chance next year. Um, I mean, I know it's it's not it's not a fun scene if you're a, a Lakers fan, but um, this, this whole year has been uh, one that I, I won't forget. Well, at least DeMar DeRozan, who they obviously could have had instead of Russell Westbrook. At least he's not playing well either. So it was going to be a lose-lose no matter what. Yeah, there there is an alternate universe where they they acquire Buddy Heald and DeMar DeRozan, and the Lakers are like 48-8 and eight right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think obviously that DeRozan would have been way, way, way better than Westbrook. I mean, I, I also think – I mean, it's worth pointing out. Like, DeRozan and LeBron – as offensive fits wouldn't have been great either. Uh, you just, DeRozan's way more talented than Westbrook, so it would have been a better fit. But it's, I don't think DeRozan's having the year he's having in Chicago if he's doing it on the Lakers. No, no, definitely not. But I mean, it, it certainly was not going to be a, a Westbrook situation. And, and there's, yeah, there's something to be said for very few stars being able to coexist alongside LeBron throughout his career. Um, and, and there's a chance that DeRozan, you know, would, would have struggled, certainly relative to what he's doing. In Chicago. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, let's let's take a look at MVP odds real quickly, and and things have shifted in favor of Joel Embiid over the last few weeks. He's at plus one forty at DK, uh, a, a sizable lead now over Jokic, who's at plus three twenty. Giannis four to one. Curry now all the way down at plus seven fifty. And then you get into some secondary candidates like John Morant at 11 to one, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, both at 20 to one, DeRozan 40 to one, and then a bunch of other guys. Do you think adding Harden hurts or helps Joel Embiid's case going forward? Um, hmm. I'm not sure. I, you know, I think Embiid wins the award if he. I don't know how how many games they got left. Like twenty five. Like if he if he plays twenty out of their next twenty five games, I think he probably wins the award regardless of how Harden fits in. But I think Jokic is just as deserving. I think Giannis is uh, right in that mix too. Um, you know, is is plus one forty for the front runner good odds if him missing like six or seven games knocks him out of the race. I, I don't know. I, I think it's, you know, I don't see a ton of value on the board right now. Uh, what, no. what do you think? No, I don't, I don't see a lot of value either. I think Morant at 11 to one, I, I don't love those odds. I, I think if you could get Morant at like 25 to one, maybe I would think about it because the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies are 40 and 18 right now. Like it's getting to the point that they're having, a good enough season that you have to take him seriously as a candidate. And I know like two months ago, I was on the complete opposite train, but they, they just keep winning and his numbers just keep getting better. I mean, if I was going to choose a value bet, I, I think, I don't think he wins it, but DeRozan at 40 to one is, is somewhat appealing because he too is on this crazy run and, and Chicago could end up getting the one. Um, I've always been on Chris Paul, who's at 20 to one as kind of a dark horse candidate, but it, it just doesn't feel like things are moving in his direction to get that lifetime achievement. MVP, even if the Suns finish with the best record, I, I think they would need to go on a, a, just a scorched earth run after the break where they finish with like 68 wins, you know, that, at that point, then, then he's going to be um, getting some attention there. I, but I think he ultimately probably finishes fourth or fifth. You're right that there's not a lot of value. Um, as far as Harden and Embiid goes though, I, I think, I think the potential for the Sixers to win more games with Harden offsets the potential for Embiid's numbers to decline with Harden in the lineup like inevitably I don't think Embiid is going to score 37 points a game the rest of the way like he's been for the last month you know like I, I think his numbers could decline 10 to 15 percent but I think the Sixers are going to win more games once Harden is up to speed so even if Embiid's numbers don't look all that great compared to what he's been doing over the last 25 games if the Sixers go 18 and 7 and you know finish with like what would that give them 52 wins I, I think that's probably enough um the other thing, though, with Jokic, I mean, the Nuggets are only, I think, two and a half games worse than Philly. Like, there's this belief that Denver is, like, you know, barely scraping above 500. Like, they're, they're 32 and 25. So if they, too, if they get Murray back and they go on a run and, you know, we know Jokic's numbers really aren't going to change, I don't think he's out of this at all. No, I don't either. I, I mean, I think Embiid is is the sort of media favorite right now. I, I mean, the MVP, we've talked about this before. The MVP is not a place to go looking for long shots. Uh, you're just, you're, you're talking about those top three guys. Like it's, it's going to be one of those three. And uh, especially at this point in the season. Right. Uh, you know, I've, I've said before, I think 
I don't think Embiid or Giannis could have this Nuggets team at the record they're at right now if you just swapped either of them in for Jokic. Like, I just think what he's doing with these, this cast is really just remarkable. Um, so I, I would vote for Jokic, but uh, the voting base is going to look at – I mean, the vote – like, I think Embiid just has the narrative. He has, he has a better narrative, I think, than – Giannis or or Jokic right now so it's just a matter of um now could could Jokic like I think if if the Nuggets get up to like the four seed because like we are seeing the Jazz really kind of stumble and I they're right there with the the Mavs uh you know if we see the Nuggets get up to the four seed and say the Sixers are the five seed and Jokic has played uh I don't know eight eight, nine, ten more games than Embiid this year, I think he could he could totally win it. But I, I think the odds right now are 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 right. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think so too. I think that's been the case really for for most of the year. And DraftKings has done a good job of adjusting those really week to week uh based on how these guys have played. Although there was a bit of a delay I thought in in Steph Curry being moved down, you know, after yeah. sucking it up by Curry standards for 30 straight games. But but he's back on track. Um I, I any other futures that you want to discuss? I mean, rookie of the year still looks like Evan Mobley, pretty heavy favorite. He's at minus 400. Uh, it feels like he's cooled off even, but you know, no one else has really grabbed it from him. So it does feel like it's going to be Evan Mobley in a landslide there. Yeah. Evan Mobley in a landslide for most improved or for a rookie, John Morant, a landslide for most improved. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Monty for Coach of the Year seems like kind of a, a classic one. I don't like um, it. I don't like it, but he's a heavy favorite. <laughs> well, I don't get it. I mean, I see. I this kind of is what annoys me about um, a lot of these like awards and the way people do All Star and, and first team and stuff. Like this whole notion that. Team X needs a representative, or Team X needs to be like recognized because of how good they were. Um, you know, Chris Paul's not the MVP, and Monty Williams isn't the coach of the year, but they're working together to like kind of provide a special amount of value. But like Taylor Jenkins is the coach of the year to me, um, exactly. at least to this point. Uh, I mean, I even think guys like Spolstra and Billy Donovan have as good, if not better, cases than Monty Williams. So, um, you know, I think I think he's just going to get it because everyone's going to be like, well, we can't give the MVP to Chris Paul or Devin Booker, but the Suns got to get something. So we're going to yeah. get Monty Williams coach of the year. I just don't get that logic. I, I, you know, I mean, he's he should not be this heavy of a favorite. If you want to say that it's a fairly even race between Monty Williams Taylor Jenkins and I think JB Bickerstaff you have to throw in there as well. I think Taylor Jenkins and JB Bickerstaff in nine out of 10 years would be running away with this award, right? I mean, Taylor Jenkins, yeah. they're 40 and 18. The Memphis Grizzlies are 40 and 18 and Taylor Jenkins is six to one to win coach of the year. And like my stance, if a coach on a good team, like a really good team, best team in the league is going to win it. If it's an established coach like Amani Williams or a Steve Kerr or I don't know, Doc Rivers, Greg Popovich, whoever, that team has to be all time good. You have to be 68, 69, 70, 70 plus wins. You know, if you, if you go 73 and nine, that's fine. You're, you're basically automatically the coach of the year, 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Suns finish the year. They don't lose again. And they're 72 and 10. Then sure. Give it to them. But I, I just, I don't feel like they've been otherworldly good to the point where he deserves it over somebody in, in Taylor Jenkins, who I don't think anybody would be surprised if Memphis was five games under 500, as opposed to 22 games over 500. Well, the, like the Suns have the best, like top seven roster, like one through seven, the Suns just have that be- the best roster uh, of any team in the league for the regular season, and they've Besides had the Lakers, re- yeah. they've, they've had really good health luck. Um, the, the availability of their stars has been up there with with any team, uh, and that's why they're they're doing so well. They put together a really good top seven of their roster. They have a good coach. They have good leadership uh, within their players, and that's why they're having all this success. I mean, if I just told you before the season where the Cavs, the Bulls, and the Grizzlies would be in the standings, that would have really shocked you. Uh, But if I told you before the season the Suns were going to be on pace to have the best record in the league, that wouldn't have shocked you. So, I mean, I think – I think like Bickerstaff, Jenkins, Donovan, and and Spolstra. Spolstra to me has to be mentioned just because we all we already knew Spolstra was a top three coach in the league, and the fact that this Heat team is like they've clearly developed guys who it's not like they're developing lottery picks. They're developing guys they got off the scrap heap, and they've been hey, Vincent. They've got the number one record in the East, despite the fact that a lot like multiple of their best players have missed double digit games. So mm-hmm. like I think Spolstra, Donovan, Jenkins, and Bickerstaff are really, really good choices for coach of the year. So yeah. I it's it's weird to see them all uh kind of log shots uh, compared to Williams. Yeah, that's a really good point on the Suns health. I mean they've it feels like they've had no injuries really whatsoever. I mean Chris Paul has not missed a single game yet and and that just continues to defy everything we know about aging point guards, especially given where Chris Paul was at health wise during his days with the Clippers and, and the Rockets. But yeah, I mean, it's it, the case for, I, I like the case for Spolstra over Monty Williams because it's been the complete opposite. Like you said, I mean, not to take anything away from the job that Monty Williams has done, but there, there hasn't been a whole lot of adversity for that team. I and mean, that team runs itself at this point, you know, and I think the Bucks were kind of at that level the last few years. Um, they finally get over the hump, you know, whether you win the title or not, when you have a, a really strong top seven and everybody stays healthy, not that there's not coaching to be done, but you know, when it comes to determining a coach of the year, I just, I really don't get that one. Yeah. And I mean, you have like part of why Chris Paul is even in the mix for MVP. Like I I don't think he's a realistic candidate, but like he is another coach and like, this is an incredibly motivated team coming off a finals loss. And so if you have really good health, I mean, you just went to the finals and you've had really good health. Like what, like, Mm -hmm. Like that's just such a weird combination for to lead to a coach of the year. Yeah, I, I, I that's the thing. It's it felt like he should have won it last year. Maybe there's some, some yeah. sort of oh, he he 100 should have won it last year. Um, yeah, like and that, I, I think that's, that's not part really of debatable. Yeah. No. All right, let's uh let's talk about just a couple of the more minor trades from last week, and then we'll get out of here. Um, what did you make of the Pacers, Kings, Halliburton, Sabonis swap? Oh, I. I absolutely love that for Indiana. Um, just seems like a classic uh, taking advantage of, of a, a really dumb franchise. Like, it, you know, it's it's not that Monty McNair is dumb, but 
I mean, who knows how much say he even had in that trade. And uh, like Halliburton, like Halliburton's not going to be as good as James Harden, but I could see that just being one of those where Halliburton goes on to make like six or seven all-star teams. And it's just like, oh, uh, (laughs) uh, that, that guy was, by far better than De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell. Um, and we just traded him away. Uh, I mean, Sabonis is fine. Like, I mean, Sabonis is like, they're, I don't know. It, it's just, I don't want to rip on Sabonis, but when you're talking about the years that you would expect these guys to remain on their current rosters, like the, the Pacers are going to end up giving Halliburton, you know, 25, 30 million a year to stay on the team for like five or six total years. Sabonis is going to leave the Kings whenever he's a free agent and the Kings are never going to win a playoff series with Sabonis. So just a pretty easy, easy win for the Pacers there. hundred percent agree. I, I don't know what the Kings are doing. I mean, if it was, if it was any other team, I think we would maybe give them some sort of benefit of the doubt and we would start to look into like why this maybe makes sense, but it's just such a quintessential classic Kings move to just do something that short-sighted. Like I, I was telling Alex last week, I mean, if, if part of the reason for doing this was, Hey, we need to clear more. We need to clear more space for Davion Mitchell. You know, we got to get him more minutes. We can't, we can't have him Fox and Halliburton. That is insane because I don't know if Davion Mitchell is going to be good whatsoever. And I, I think choosing Fox over Halliburton also insane. I, and I've been pretty pro De'Aaron Fox uh, more so I think than most people. I still think that's crazy. I mean, giving up the control, the, the cheapness of that contract for the next few years, it, it just makes so, so little sense. It, it's just a, it felt like a, a switch up for the sake of switching things up and not really taking into account any of the context that you absolutely have to take into account when it comes to making NBA trades, especially now when at least like 25 of the 30 GMs seem to be way smarter than they used to be. And obviously the Kings aren't in that category, but I mean, you just don't see moves like this anymore. I know it's, uh, and I mean, the Pacers, the Pacers just, uh, Kevin Pritchard, I mean, he's got as good of a trading record as, as anyone over the past, like, five or six years. Uh, just getting these – I mean, he, look how he got Sabonis in the first place. Like, just getting these guys who have, you know, borderline star potential that hasn't been realized and getting them kind of on the cheap uh, before uh, the market sort of adjusts to it. And, um, I mean, I, I look at that – that Pacers uh, depth chart heading into next year. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see, you know, TJ Warren is still a pretty big um, piece in terms of determining their, their outlook in terms of how, how healthy can he get and can he return to the levels that he was at before that injury. But uh, I, I've always loved Miles Turner and I've hated, I always, I mean, who didn't hate the fit with him and Sabonis, but just if you can have a, a healthy Miles Turner and like Halliburton, Brogdon, Heald, Warren, uh, with Duarte coming off the bench, maybe you add another guy or two in free agency. Like the pieces just all of a sudden seem like they might fit uh, much better than they did with Sabonis. And I mean, Sabonis is kind of a, like he's not the same type of player as Ben Simmons, but he's just as difficult of a guy to build around because of his yep strengths and weaknesses at the position he plays because he he basically has to play center but he doesn't do any of the things that you want a modern day center to do 
And so it's just, you need a very, very specific type of team around him. And, you know, Halliburton is the complete opposite. Halliburton fits on it. Let's go real quickly on the Dallas uh, Washington trade. And, and then we'll, we'll hop out of here. I, I despise this trade for the Mavericks. <laughs> I don't understand it. I'm really yet to see any sort of explanation for what the thought process was here. I don't, I don't think they even put themselves in like a slightly better cap situation. You know, normally when you trade away the best player in a deal, that being Porzingis, you know, you're, you're at least benefiting salary wise. You know, you're, you're giving away a, a, a fairly good player, although one with a lot of downside in terms of health on a bloated contract, you know, Washington's getting that guy. They're assuming that risk. Usually in return, you're getting some sort of cap relief. You're not bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie who makes 18 mil next year and 19 mil in 23, 24 and Davis Bertans who you're inheriting that five-year $80 million deal. Like I, I think they're arguably in a worse cap situation than they were in with Porzingis. I, I, again, it, it makes no sense. I I'm yet to, I hope you have some sort of explanation or something that I'm missing here. Uh, well, I think that it's pretty clear that um, Porzingis's trade value around the league was basically zero. Like he was being thought of as a clear negative contract. Um, and I think that the Mavericks had just reached a point with him with the injuries and knowing that they couldn't count on him from an availability standpoint, that they just wanted to like rip the Band-Aid off. And it was going to be a if it if it's a negative value contract and they just didn't want to deal with it anymore, they were going to have to look for other negative value contracts that they thought could fit better. Um, I just you know the the buying low on like Burton's part, I think that's like one thing, but. I just hate the fact that it was Bertans and Dinwiddie because Dinwiddie, I mean, I, I only saw the Wizards when they played the Bucks this year, but uh, Dinwiddie was absolutely terrible in that game. Um, I was just kind of blown away at how bad he was. And you're bringing him in and you already have Jalen Brunson, who you're trying to keep for next year. And I just, like, Dinwiddie didn't fit with the wizards from a personality standpoint, now you're bringing them in and you're potentially alienating Brunson. And I, yeah, I just, it, I just, I didn't like that aspect. I, I thought like Bertans, maybe you get a change of scenery on him. Maybe he can kind of be the guy that he was in San Antonio and granted he's super overpaid, but you know, whatever, but just taking two, two bad contracts who, you know, maybe don't even make you that much better this year. Um, you know, it's tough. But, I mean, at the same time, what were they really realistically going to get from Porzingis in the playoffs this year? Um, you know, probably not Probably not much. I mean, to me, it almost you're almost waving the white flag on this season, which, you know, like you said, you, were, you probably weren't getting much from Porzingis, but there's also a world in which Porzingis magically stays healthy, and that's probably better than what you're getting from Dinwiddie and Bertans. But I, I get not wanting to take that chance. I mean, the only the only explanation I guess that I have seen for this is you're stockpiling contracts for a potential future trade. I mean, so I, they also turned around and signed Dorian Finney-Smith to like a fifty million dollar deal last week. You're presumably going to sign Jalen Brunson, which that's fine if Jalen Brunson's your number two guy. 
you're in big trouble. I, I don't really, I, I don't think he's that good at the end of the day. Um, so that's all well and good. You have, you have Dorian Finney-Smith contract, Brunson contract, Dinwiddie contract, Bertans contract. Like, yeah, those could all be used in a trade, but what are you attaching as the sweetener? I mean, is it, you're really, you're, the only other asset that you have at that point is future picks. I, I, I just, I really don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're in trouble, man. <laughs> like it's, they're in big trouble. It's, uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, like we always joke about like how Zion is like clearly going to leave New Orleans sooner than later. Um, uh, you know, I think we could probably have that same conversation about Doncic because oh, like how, how is this team winning a playoff series? I mean, they, like they almost won one last year just because Doncic was playing out of his mind, but um, like the West, like this is as bad as the West is going to look when you just have a complete wasted season by the Lakers, you have Jamal Murray out, you have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George and Michael Porter all out. You have the jazz self combusting. Uh, Like the Grizzlies are on the way up. The Suns are clearly going to be, juggernauts for for the foreseeable future the warriors look back to being juggernauts so like this Mavs team just seems like they're kind of going to be like the sixth seed until Dodgers leaves right right I mean it's comparable I think to the Anthony Davis situation in New Orleans arguably worse I mean you took a big risk on Porzingis it didn't work you know with with Davis it kind of felt like there was always this one foot out the door and, and he was kind of a big reason for why they were handcuffed on a lot of those deals and you know, you had the similar situation with DeMarcus Cousins where you bring him in, that looks okay, and then he gets hurt. Um, it, it certainly looks like it's heading that direction. I mean, I, I think Doncic and the Mavs appear to be on good terms as far as a franchise superstar relationship goes, but that can change really quickly when you're in a situation like this and there, there does not appear to be an obvious way out. Um, I, I just saw a tweet, by the way, that says, Marcus Smart says he believes the Celtics, had they beaten LeBron's Cavs in 2018, would have gone on to defeat the Kevin Durant, uh, Steph Curry, 2018 Warriors. So I think that means it's officially time to to end the podcast. But as always, man, I appreciate you jumping on. Best of luck with the baseball season getting started at some point. I know you guys continue to put out a, a ton of content uh, on rotowire.com. So if you're a baseball guy, make sure you're checking that out. But we'll have to touch base again soon after the All-Star break. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, sorry about the Lakers, but I'm glad that you uh... – you've kind of come to accept Mm -hmm. reality. I probably should have done this three months ago, but nonetheless, I appreciate you saying that. (laughs) 